This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, June 14th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The federal government has been collecting a great deal of information about Americans, and the Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper, has dramatically understated the volume of that information collection. Julian Sanchez, a research fellow at the Cato Institute, offers his thoughts. You know, I actually think there is no other appropriate word for this other than lie. It is uh, it was a yes or no question. Uh, is there any program under which the NSA collects any form of data, explicitly not email contents, not phone conversations, any form of data about millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? And he asked this because the current head of the NSA had at a conference recently publicly said, we don't keep uh, dossiers on millions of Americans. This is a crazy fantasy. Um, And he said, well, I don't know what a dossier is. Is there any form of data that's kept on millions of Americans? Uh, And the uh, director of national intelligence gave a yes or no answer. He could have said, it's not appropriate for me to discuss anything about the scale of our collections operations in a public setting. He said no. And I don't know how, in light of the revelations about bulk collection of metadata that we uh, now have seen, that we can interpret that as anything but a deliberate falsehood. And in fact, in later interviews, Clapper acknowledges essentially that that was a falsehood. He says, first, well, I thought that was an unfair question. It was a, have you stopped beating your wife question? And so um, apparently he decided that because he didn't like the question, he was entitled uh, not to decline to answer, but to lie to Congress and to the American people watching that hearing. Uh, And then he later had a a very strange idea about what collection might mean that didn't make any sense either. Um, There's not really any way of getting around this. A sitting senator asked the director of national intelligence at a public hearing about the scope of his agency's surveillance of Americans' sensitive communication records, and Congress was lied to. And so far, there have been no consequences of this. We've heard a lot of people talking about all the terrible consequences that the leaker of this information should suffer. Um, But it appears that there are no consequences for lying to Congress about the secret intelligence activities of your agency. Um, If that is the case, then it seems as though we have erected a enormous, expensive, marble democracy theme park. Um, Because if Congress cannot know uh, you know, all of Congress, not just a few specially brief people, um, facts like at this level of generality, not who are you targeting, what are you doing with it, but are you collecting this broadly on Americans, um, then this idea of rigorous oversight, this idea that in some sense the law is endorsed by the people um, is, is uh, something of a sham. I mean, and this is the inherent problem in intelligence is it is potentially and inherently extraordinarily anti-democratic. We know um, the text of the law is itself uh, hard to interpret, is interpreted as it was in this case in uh, a wild, uh, wildly divergent from what you would expect way. Um, and the reason we don't know that is because we don't see the opinions, even 
redacted and declassified versions, despite repeated promises to declassify really significant interpretations. Um, and so we're living, in a sense, under, under a secret law, under uh, a law we can't really understand. Google has asked for clearance to speak in fairly broad terms about the uh, substance of what they are being asked to do to, I suppose, reassure customers that their data is not being compromised or under what general uh, set of circumstances it might be compromised. What's the issue there? There are a lot of cases in which an intelligence secrecy is absolutely necessary. Operational details, who were the targets, what particular methods are you using to track people. Um, and yet, then there are a lot of things that are secret because someone makes a vague assertion that it might somehow possibly have some indirect effect on national security somehow. And I think we need to kind of demand that, that our intelligence agencies treat us a little bit more like adults. We are now engaged in a, a bizarre pantomime where uh, there's a story that may have had some initial inaccuracies about a program called PRISM that's a, a program that collects email and other content from uh, service providers like Google and Yahoo and Facebook. And uh, the companies wanted to sort of deny that they had granted plenary access to their servers or let government sniffing uh, devices be installed on their machines in a way that gave them kind of total access to all that content. Um, and this is an important question in, in some sense. Um, how does this work in practice? Is it the case that there's direct access to the server by the government? Or, as we know, frankly, AT&T allowed, um, thanks to the revelations of whistleblower Mark Klein, there was a, a secret room where all traffic was split off into another room and analyzed by a very powerful and specialized computer. Um, is that the model here, or is there a human at Google that's reviewing particular requests? And is, are these very broad orders for hundreds of accounts, individual accounts, actual searches they're doing through that data? Um, understanding whether our civil liberties are protected um, is, is important, and knowing things like that helps us understand what checks exist and whether we should be comfortable with the amount of power we've granted intelligence agencies. And that is not information that can help a terrorist, really. I mean, knowing that what kind of safeguards exist at that level doesn't really help you not be targeted, um, unless, I guess, you have a, a, a very close friend at Google, um, in which case you probably already have an advantage. Uh, and yet, Google has had to be kind of incredibly indirect. All these companies have had to be very indirect because they're not even allowed to acknowledge the existence of these orders, not how the orders work in terms of targeting individuals or even the kinds of things they're focusing on, um, but the fact that they've received an order. So we now all have to pretend, or at least they have to pretend, that we don't all understand that these companies have gotten these orders. Um, on the grounds that somehow knowing that Google gets these orders would imperil national security. I mean, it's sort of silly because, of course, you can, if you want to find out which companies don't get these orders, the ones that haven't gotten the order can still deny it. You can ask them and they can say, no, we haven't gotten the order. And the companies that have gotten the order have to say, well, we can't confirm or deny the existence of that order. Um, so it's, it's not really providing you a, a meaningful uh, guide to who does or doesn't receive these orders pretty much everyone does. Um, what it does is ensure that at the most basic way, we are barred from discussing really significant facts about 
what is happening. So facts like, for example, um, hey, certain providers have gotten demands not for particular accounts, but for the entire body of data about Americans' domestic calls. And that's, again, that's not information about who's being targeted. That's information about the nature of these authorities. It's obviously relevant to public deliberation about them. And, and it's the kind of thing that these companies normally would have a, an absolute First Amendment right to discuss. Uh, and so secrecy is, is, seems to be less about the security of the nation from attack and more about the security of the power of these agencies from accountability to a public that might not think that these powers are necessary. Essentially, the, the threat against which they're protecting our security is the American people, who they say they know better than how much power they need. Uh, and that's, that's not how a democracy works. Uh, part and parcel of Fourth Amendment protections is the ability to assert that your rights have been violated. That may not have been very meaningful a very long time ago, but in an age when your effects can be searched without your knowledge uh, and without a warrant, it becomes very difficult. So uh, the purpose of the secrecy, uh, as you say, may be more to protect the agency. How do we get around that? How do we get uh, back to a situation where individuals can assert uh, their rights and still have effective protection against threats. So I mean, in the near term, I think intelligence surveillance in particular probably needs to be secret for longer than we expect with ordinary wiretaps. The presumption that they're going to be permanently secret uh, may be something we're willing to revisit. It's not clear necessarily that knowing what kind of targeting the NSA was doing 10 years ago um, there might be special exceptions where you've been tracking someone for a very long time, but um, it might be possible to open that up to some extent. Um, there is this catch-22 now since the Supreme Court's uh, ruling in Clapper v. Amnesty that um, they essentially, unless they choose to prosecute you, never have to tell anyone that they have been sucked into the spying machine. Um, and unless you can prove you specifically have been spied upon, which of course you can't unless they tell you, um, you have no opportunity to ever challenge the constitutionality of the process by which you may be subject to that surveillance. And so uh, if you think that you're likely uh, to be targeted in that way, maybe because you are talking to reporters as, as a whistleblower or a leaker, um, because you're an attorney who talks to people in the Middle East who are considered terrorists or suspected of it, um, you, you are essentially required to live under a permanent cloud of believing perhaps all your communications can be uh, listened to um, and not ever having a remedy. It was something really precisely what the kind of thing that the Fourth Amendment was intended to avoid. And yet we see, you know, in interviews that the New York Times has done with people gauging reactions about this. Uh, a really d disheartening number of people saying things like, some just say, well, I have nothing to hide. That's, you know, no problem for me if uh, they look through my, uh, through my records. One, I doubt that anyone really has nothing to hide. And um, that's a sort of strange and selfish thing to say. It's like saying, um, I'm, I'm white. Why should I care about racism? But beyond that, we see responses like, well, what can you do? Of course, they're going to listen to everything. 
you just have to assume the government can read anything you put online and listen to anything you say uh, on the internet or, or on a phone line. Um, and that is, is really a, a disturbing kind of voice of, of what psychologists call learned helplessness, uh, feeling that there is no private place, at least in the electronic world, where you can communicate without thinking in the back of your head anything I say, even if maybe it's a joke, could be looked at by the government. Um, that doesn't seem to me like a context in that's, that's conducive to you know, a vibrant uh, citizenry that's willing to dissent. It's, it seems like a process by which slowly we breed out of people, in a way, the will to assert themselves as individuals with a kind of sacrosanct boundary that the government is not entitled to cross. Julian Sanchez is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.